Early this Saturday morning, Fort Worth police officer Aaron Dean quietly opened the gate and snuck into the backyard of 28-year-old Tatiana Jefferson, then shot and killed her through her bedroom window while she was playing video games with her eight-year-old nephew. By now, you've likely heard about the case. Today, I want to tell you how I first heard about it and give you a glimpse into what's next. Also, last night was the Democratic presidential debate, but three huge endorsements stole the show, and I want to unpack and explain them. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The, 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 The Breakdown. On this past Saturday morning, my whole family and I did something that we rarely do. We got in the car. First, we had a day off, which is rare. But we got in the car, and we have friends who live out of state. We live in Brooklyn, but we have friends who live out of state in Connecticut. And we just got in the car, and we decided that we were going to go hang out at a friend's house and just cook out and play and talk and relax But as I was on my way to Connecticut, uh, my dear friend and brother Lee Merritt, and um, Lee is like the silent co-host of this podcast in so many ways. Lee and I first met all the way back in 1999, and it blows my mind because many of you who listen to this podcast were not born yet. (laughs) And so when I say we met in 1999, uh, many of you uh, weren't born, and it definitely dates Lee and I, but we Met in 1999 on the campus of Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. I was a junior. I was student government president, and he had just moved to Atlanta from South Central Los Angeles, having narrowly escaped a lot of problems and trouble and drama, just like I did a few years earlier when I got to Morehouse. And um, at that time, I saw him as a young, fierce activist and organizer and a serious student. And we've known each other now for over 20 years. But over the past few years, particularly since early in 2016, we have worked on dozens and dozens of cases together, not just of police brutality, but of of bigotry, of racism, of natural disasters. And we work together first and foremost because we're friends and we trust each other. And in this space, it is it's hard to know uh, who to trust, uh, who's who's committed, who's real. And on our way, my family and I are, are driving to Connecticut. On our way there, um, Lee messages me about the horrible shooting death of Tatiana Jefferson. And at that time, the family did not have an attorney. The case and story had not gone viral. It had hardly even been shared. It wasn't really even known locally in Dallas or Fort Worth. And if you're not aware of this, Dallas and Fort Worth are like sister cities. It's like Minneapolis, St. Paul. They're right adjacent to each other. They they often, when people talk about Dallas, they sometimes are talking about something that's happening in Fort Worth. Uh, the, the airport is the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. They are sister cities in so many ways. And Lee, over the past year, 
represented another family in the same area, in Dallas, just a few miles over from where Tatiana Jefferson was shot and killed, who also had their loved one, almost exactly at Tatiana's age, also, not that it's even remotely relevant, but also a beloved, peaceful college graduate, Botham Jean, who was sitting in his living room, watching television, eating ice cream. And here, a year later, we see a case that is eerily similar, where a young woman is in her bedroom playing video games. This is at her mother's house, and at her mother's, her mother has grown ill. We now know all of this family's business. It's, it's a weird thing that, you know, I say, I say this sometimes and I mean it, like, in some ways I wish we didn't know the name of Tatiana Jefferson. I wish that name was unknown to us, at least under these circumstances. But she had been caring for her mother, who had grown quite ill over the past few months and years. And uh, she was at her mother's house caring for her mother and and her eight-year-old nephew. They were playing the video game Halo, and it was a long weekend. And the weather had grown cooler in Dallas and Fort Worth. And this happens all over Texas. When the weather begins to cool down, people will open their doors and windows. They've been, they've been doing this for generations. They'll cut the air conditioner off for a change, save some money, open the doors and windows, and just let the house cool naturally. And that's all that Tatiana did. Open the doors and the windows of the house, and they were just in the home chilling. And a concerned neighbor, legitimately so, got a phone call from his own daughter that the front door of Tatiana's home was open. No, she had a screen door. It was just the main front door was open. Some lights of the house were on, and she had just called uh, the daughter of a neighbor, called her dad and said, hey, dad, it's just a little peculiar. I'm concerned that something may be going on. And people should be able to express that concern. And the neighbor, instead of calling 911, the neighbor uh, decided to call the non-emergency line to just say, hey, I am a friendly neighbor in Fort Worth, and I am concerned that my neighbor's door is open and her lights are on, and it's been this way for a while. I'm just concerned that something has happened. He didn't know. But this is the United States. And in this country, that phone call was treated not as a courtesy, but was treated as so many things are treated. It was that phone call was criminalized. And instead of police dispatching someone on a friendly call, who simply rang the doorbell or simply knocked on the front door. The Fort Worth Police Department basically sent a firing squad, literally with with rifles and handguns, like they operated almost like a paramilitary organization, parking a block away and whispering to each other and quietly sneaking into the backyard as if they were definitely apprehending a criminal. It was 
It was video game-like itself. And literally within six-tenths of a second, when the officer spotted Tatiana Jefferson, he shot and killed her right there in front of her nephew in her bedroom, in her home. And I'm on my way to see our friends in Connecticut, and I read the article since the gravity of it, and Lee and I decide right there, as we often do with only a tiny bit of information, we decide that we will take this case on however we can. Lee has represented now dozens and dozens of families in the Dallas and Fort Worth area, and the family connects with Lee, and um, Lee connects me with them, and we decide that we will tell this story to the nation and to the world. And a huge part of what Lee and I do every day, and we have learned the hard way. I have a book that comes out in April called Make Change, and I, I talk about some of the work that Lee and I have done together. Lee and I have worked now on dozens and dozens of cases, probably maybe a, nearly 100 cases at this point. And we've learned what works, what doesn't, and some of it is some of, some of what works and what doesn't is ugly. And yet we understand that if we don't have good pictures of a victim to share. So one of the first things we ask a shooting victim of police violence, one of the first things we ask their family is to send us the very best, most friendly photos they have because we know we are now in a race against time and that if we don't share warm, fuzzy photos, we ask the family, I'm talking about the day their loved one was murdered, to tell us all about them so that we can begin to shape the narrative immediately, knowing that if we don't shape the narrative, if we don't play that game, which is a horrible game to have to play, that they will define it, that they will paint a, 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 a kind, sweet, gentle soul like a Tatiana Jefferson, they'll make her out to be a thug and a criminal if you let them. And so what Lee and I have learned right away is to begin collecting emergency information like our lives depend on it and photos and videos so that we can begin to shape the narrative. And right away, before the nation knew the story, we announced it on, on my Instagram and Facebook and Twitter because we have also learned that if you don't build the awareness and momentum behind a story, the attorneys and the family members will have no leverage, no power, no juice. And we're not speaking theoretically. And, and I need to say this. This is not our first time working with the Fort Worth Police Department or, or even working against the Fort Worth Police Department or working with the district attorney of, of Tarrant County, which is the county that Fort Worth is located in, Sharon Wilson. And we have found them consistently to be horrible to work with, both the police department and the district attorney. Over and over and over again, we have struggled to have basic, meaningful, productive conversations with the men and women of that district attorney's office and that police department. And yet when they do something as horrible as shooting and killing someone like a Tatiana Jefferson, it puts even their backs against the wall. And we have now found that police department and that mayor and that district attorney finally 
after years of either opposing us at every turn uh, or, or flat out ignoring not just us, but other families who've experienced police violence. The mayor, the police chief, the district attorney all denounced this horrible shooting and they have now filed murder charges. They um, arrested and temporarily jailed the Fort Worth police officer, Aaron Dean, who was given what may sound at first glance like a large bail amount, $200,000, but for murder, he was able to to bond out for just $20,000. If you give a, a bail bonds company 10%, they will cover the rest. And he bonded out within just a few hours, and some people speculate that even though he quit the police department, some people are speculating that the police union actually may have covered um, his bail. Whatever the case, he's free and a Tatiana Jefferson is dead. And while we are glad that charges were very quickly filed, I mean, maybe as quickly as any case that Lee and I have worked on, I can't think of one that's moved faster than this. We're approaching it all with a healthy degree of side eye because we've dealt with this department, we've dealt with this district attorney, and it it's hard to take them at their word. And so on this Saturday at the Potter's House, one of the largest churches in the country, Tatiana Jefferson will be laid to rest. And I put air quotes around laid to rest because it's hard for this family to be at peace right now. And there is something deeply unsettling about having your loved one basically assassinated in the security of their home, not by an assassin as you know it, but by a police officer who your taxes pay. They're supposed to protect and serve you, but instead instead they they killed a woman. And this family is left to pick up the broken pieces and we're there to help them through it. But it's hard to be peaceful when these police departments continue to have their foot on our neck. And so we're continuing to fight for justice. But I'm starting to grow increasingly uncomfortable even with that phrase, fight for justice, because justice is how we balance the scales. And how do we balance these scales? When you kill someone's daughter, she was the baby girl in the family. When you kill someone's sister, someone's aunt, someone's classmate, someone's neighbor, someone's colleague, how do we balance that out? How do you balance out the pain, the horror, and the trauma of an eight-year-old boy seeing such a thing? He'll be dealing with that for the rest of his life until his dying day. How is that made right? Make that right for me. I'm going to continue to cover this case. I've talked with the family, and of course I talk with Lee Merritt, the attorney, often. And I'll be back to give you updates as soon as I can. Today's episode of The Breakdown is brought to you by Simply Safe. I want each of you to have the peace of mind that you get from a quality home security system. I've got one. But what's crazy is that only one in five homes have home security. 
maybe because most companies really don't make it easy. That's why Simply Safe is my top choice and why we're proud to have them as the very first sponsor of the breakdown. Now, I pledge that I would only support companies that I use, that I know, and that I trust, and Simply Safe is one of those companies. Right now, if you visit simplysafe.com/break, you'll get free shipping and a 60-day free trial. You've got nothing to lose. You can go right now. Just be sure to go to simplysafe.com/break so they know that our show sent you. That's simply safe. Let me spell it. S I M P L I safe.com slash break last night in ohio and it's important ohio is always uh, is we call it a swing state but ohio less than it's a swing state it is a predictor often of the american presidency and normally who wins ohio wins the white house but last night in ohio was the fourth democratic presidential debate They had too many candidates on the stage. They had 12, which I think I heard was the most ever on stage at the same time in a Democratic debate. And I'm saying, let's get over this. All right. I know it's it's friendly to not say no, but there are. I'm not going to name them. There are at least five people who don't need to be on that stage. They are not going to get above five percent or if that and they struggle sometimes often to get above two percent and at this point at in the fourth debate it's not necessary that they be there and yet the debate was vigorous at times problematic at others uh as you all know i'm a huge supporter of bernie sanders i i pledge just to myself it, it really not to anybody else I just pledged that I would never use this podcast to be a campaign platform for for Bernie or for any of the presidential candidates as we work through these primaries. You all know I'm a huge supporter of him. But it was a big news story last night as we try to see how is Bernie going to perform. Uh, Just two weeks ago, he had a, I was going to say a mild heart attack. I don't know if that's an oxymoron. I mean, there are worse heart attacks than what he had. He didn't, for instance, have to have open heart surgery or any bypass surgery. They uh, they weren't even sure at first if he had had a heart attack. They inserted stents uh, in his heart to open the blockage. And he has been feeling better and more energetic ever since. Who knows how long that had been holding him back. But people wondered, what would his energy be like? I have to say, he not only suffered a heart attack two weeks ago, but his daughter-in-law, his son's wife, passed away suddenly. She had only been sick. This was just a few days after Bernie was hospitalized for the heart attack. His daughter-in-law died after only being sick for a few weeks. And um, his family has had just an amazingly difficult time. I think... What tragedy and health scares often do, and I've been there myself with with death and health problems and challenges, 
it does center you. It, it At least it can center you. And I think it's caused Bernie and his family and the campaign to be centered and focused. And I think last night he was sharp. Um, many, many people, not just Bernie fans, but many people thought he won the debate and thought it was his best performance of any of the four debates. But something happened after the debates that really stole the show, and it started to leak during the debate and even skewed the news coverage of the debate. While the debate was still going on, we learned that three of the four members of the group that we call the squad, and those three are Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib, those three congresswomen each announced that they are endorsing Bernie Sanders. And on some levels, it's not a surprise at all because Bernie supported and campaigned for them. They had endorsed and supported Bernie. And, and when he ran in, in 2016, even uh, Alexandria even worked for, and volunteered for the Bernie Sanders campaign. And so on some levels, it's like, yeah, of course they supported Bernie, but it it actually wasn't that clear. Um, now that they are congresswomen themselves and not just uh, state legislators or everyday citizens, there's a lot of pressure to support the preferred candidate of the political establishment. I mean, that that pressure is fierce and I see it and feel it and, and I'm deeply familiar with it. And so it wasn't so clear to many of us. Would would AOC and Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, would they endorse Bernie? I didn't know. I thought maybe they might wait it out until the primaries were over, and many people had hinted at that. But together on the same night, it was announced that all three of them, who are not only now three of the five most followed women in all of Congress, but are three of the most influential people in American government and in national culture. They come from three different ethnic and cultural backgrounds, three different uh, uh, national lineages. They represent women of color in three very different ways. Um, I think the endorsements of those three women, I think they're huge. I typically think endorsements are overblown. But I think those three women at this point, at this place in time, are not only seen as congresswomen in their districts, which they are, and they each, I know all three of them personally, and they work hard in their districts, but I think they have become symbols and national voices that people look to for, for, for guidance and insight. And so I think these endorsements matter. We'll see. I don't know if that's going to give Bernie this uh, wild lift in the polls. That tends to not be how it works. But I tell you what, Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib are organizers. And when you have three new, bold organizers who have audiences and, and followers and donors and volunteers of their own, it matters. This is not a random endorsement. And... Um, I think, if anything, it kind of, I hope, once and for all, just closes the conversation on 
there only being this one type of person that supports Bernie Sanders, the Bernie bro. In fact, study after study shows that no single candidate has a more diverse base of support, both ethnically, economically, and in other ways, educationally, than Bernie Sanders. And these endorsements from AOC and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, I think, show that. We'll see. Um, States are going to begin voting for their presidential candidates in a few months. That's how close it is. And there is a lot at hand. Break it down. Thank you all so much for your support. I am just incredibly glad to continue to be able to speak to you and engage with all of our listeners in this way. As you all know, we are in a brand new podcast studio. I am looking out right now over the city of New York. I can see the Empire State Building from the podcast studio. That's not me flexing. I'm just proud. It's a small, simple space with a great view. And uh, I'm thankful for our listeners, uh, for your support, for your engagement. Please, if you have not already, subscribe. Subscribe to this podcast. We're pushing, pushing, pushing to get to 100,000 subscribers because we have big plans for what we're going to do for this podcast in the weeks and months ahead. If you have not already subscribed, please do that. And if you have not left a review, please leave your best review. We now have over 11,000 five-star reviews for the podcast. We could not do this without you. Of course, thank you so much to our associate producer, Lissandra, to our podcasting director and senior producer, Willis, for their hard work on this and every episode. Take care, everybody.